it's uh, yeah, it's quite a shock, uh, especially if you uh, if you're from Germany where everything is kind of uh, calm, nice, uh, and and easy. <laughs> and India can be really intense. Um, and that at the age of 18, so basically um, after I finished school, I just had this experience and I basically realized, wow, there's really kind of this other part of the world that <laughs> is completely different. Mm -hmm. And uh, people here have very, very different problems than I do in Germany mm -hmm. and also very, very different opportunities. So I had this great opportunity to go to a decent school, um, have basically all, all options open now for me to do whatever I want to, but there are a lot of people on this planet who don't have those kind of opportunities. And I, yeah, of course, India is still one of the, like not one of the poorest countries on the planet. There are mm. a lot of uh, people who are much worse off then, but yeah, experiencing some of that poverty, people struggling and just also um, how messy things <laughs> are, um, um, that that was really, um, yeah, really eye-opening for me. and. Before that, so I wanted to study business. So earlier, already at the age of 16, I started trading stocks and I thought I would become a stock pro broker. Um, and then kind of that India experience questioned that a little bit. I still went to university and studied business. But um, after that, I actually did other travels um, to developing countries. And then also after I finished university, I spent one and a half years actually traveling around um, also quickly going back to India, but then living half a year in Nepal, wow. one year in, in, in South America, um, and basically really kind of immersing myself into that other world mm -hmm. that, I, that I got a glimpse of. And um, yeah, I just realized that I want to make this um, the, the focus of my life, that I don't want to be just make a normal career and earn good money, mm -hmm. but actually I want to have a big positive impact and give back because I had all those opportunities that others on this planet don't have. Mm. And there was also a time when I kind of found out about climate change. I realized living in, in South America, um, I realized how much we're destroying our ecosystems, kind of rainforest being cut down by hundreds of thousands of hectares uh, and uh, then replaced with uh, either grazing land or soy fields that are basically green deserts. So those kind of things I wasn't really aware of. People uh, where I studied uh, business, nobody really told me. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, of course, yes, on an abstract level, I was aware that uh, there are poorer regions and there are climate, uh, like environmental problems and so on, but it wasn't really, I don't know, not really my focus. But then that, that changed um, and I really want to do something about it. Um, previously or during university, I had a little uh, online project where I was basically uh, starting um, a little bank comparison website and I was earning money uh, from the commissions that I then made. Mm -hmm. But I was also, so that was financing my trip basically, mm -hmm. um, this, this little project. Um, but this was also a project where I realized how much money I'm spending on online advertisement and especially on Google. Mm. So I realized that Google is a really good business model. I mean, that was now it's kind of obvious, but that was yeah. 2007. Mm. Um, so when Google was not as powerful as it is uh, now. Yeah. And this is basically how the connection came, came about. So mm -hmm. I wanted to then 
do something to help people, to help the planet, to solve climate change. And I realized tree planting is really good for that. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to use my experience in, in tech uh, and especially mm -hmm. search. And I put those two things together. Mm -hmm. And this is how I eventually created a search engine that plants trees. Okay. So this is basically the, the story behind it. Yeah. But it, it's a very ambitious thing to do to try to create a search engine when you have, you know, a giant monopoly like Google. Um, did you did you ever doubt whether that was something you would be able to do or you just thought this is a good idea I want to go for it yeah I think I was um, I mean if, if I had known what I'm getting myself into maybe I would have hesitated <laughs> I, I just thought okay um, seems like a good idea let me try it and uh, then Fortunately, it was quite easy to make some first steps, um, so you could build on the algorithms of the big search engines. Um, mm -hmm. Back then, that was uh, that was Yahoo. Now we have uh, Bing as a partner, yeah. and it was not so difficult to build a first version, kind of mm -hmm. the, the, the minimum viable product of this. And yeah. this was already rather successful, and that kind of kept me motivated to keep going. Mm -hmm. um, of course, now I know that with kind of more users and uh, more um, I mean, also more user needs. Uh, the product is becoming more and more complex. So mm. um, I didn't really imagine that when I started, but I thought if I just get 1% of the search market, I can plant billions of trees. So why not do this? Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. And maybe that was a bit uh, a bit naive, but uh, yeah, it, it's to some extent at least worked out. Yeah, so, so maybe it was a good thing that you started as a young entrepreneur. <laughs> you just went, yeah. went, went into it without yeah, thinking of the obstacles. Um, but yes. I also, was, one, one thing that surely helped was that, um, I mean, I didn't really, so for me, making money was never very important. Mm -hmm. And I had a little bit of savings on my bank account, so I had this freedom to basically just try things. Mm -hmm. um, and that, yeah, if it, fails no problem if it works out great so i think that kind of attitude really helps definitely it makes it easy to take risks um but the the first for the first search engine non-for-profit search engine that you built it failed right the, you were you were in nepal yeah. and it, it didn't take off so yeah. what was that process like for you um at what point did you know I have to quit this because it's not working? Because I think for entrepreneurs, that's a very, you know, we have a lot of ideas, but then at what point do you know, yes, this is just that I need to buckle in and, you know, just keep going or no, I should actually stop this and try something else. Yeah, so that was in Nepal. I, I started my first search project mm -hmm. and that was, um, so I tried to find a few developers in Nepal and build together with them uh, a search engine that is focused more on the Nepalese market mm -hmm. and that would then generate money for social projects in Nepal. So that was the, the original idea. The idea was pretty stupid because it was not possible to really make money in, in Nepal. But I, that, That's I the first thought that came to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm. So, but I didn't really know that back then. Um, and also kind of the conditions were of course uh, difficult i mean nepal yes you it was rather easy to find kind of motivated people engineers uh, uh, developers at lower prices than in germany mm. so that was an advantage but then we had a lot of struggles that you would not have in germany like mm. i think some days we had maybe four hours of electricity mm -hmm. um, and we even positioned our office in between two different neighborhoods so that we would get 
electricity from one neighborhood during the four hours and then um, have a few more from the other neighborhood. Oh my god. The uh, planned planned blackouts. So yeah. kind of those difficulties. Then of course I didn't know how to how to start and run a company, how to manage people. Basically, mm-hmm. I didn't um, understand the search market. Uh, my cash situation didn't look that great. So I was also losing quite a lot of money every month. Mm-hmm. And that yeah, pretty clearly defined the the amount of time that I can actually invest into this. Uh-huh. So if I was yeah, losing so much money that I would basically burn through all my reserves in in less than a year if I didn't change anything, and that yeah. became very obvious after after five months. And then I thought, okay, let's let's stop this. It wasn't it was a good, nice try. I mm-hmm. learned a few things and uh, had a great time in Nepal. Uh, but I need to approach this differently. Okay. And yeah, then so I still had basically the code of my search engine in my backpack, literally, <laughs> and. Um, then I kind of updated this, uh, gave it another try. Uh, the, the the second try was actually based on on Google, so that was uh, also already a search engine that was focused on rainforest protection. Um, that also didn't work out because Google quit the partnership after a few days, which kind of then everything fell fell apart again. Wow! So that was uh, the second attempt, and then only the third attempt, basically, Ecosia uh, mm. eventually worked out. Um, oh. But I also had other projects that didn't work, so I, um, yeah. usually people only see the successful projects, but that's uh, I can show yeah. you at least 10 projects oh. that didn't really work. Yeah, yeah no, that, that's why I wanted to ask you these questions about you know what, what happened before then because th- that that's what people don't see but it it's in, it's interesting because that's that's where we can learn you know what what did you learn from those failures from those projects that didn't work out and what did you do differently with Ecosia I think what was different with Ecosia was that um there was real traction like people wanted this mm. um and um yeah I saw that uh I mean, we, we did not make a lot of money in the beginning, but at least some money was coming in. And uh, that was, I think, for me, a proof that you had this product market fit, basically. Mm. So uh, something okay. that you can, that is really worthwhile to spend more time on. Um, with So I also had another project for a while that was basically an online university for people in developing countries. Uh, also not a great idea because people in developing countries <laughs> didn't really have internet back then. And, uh, were also not able to pay for any of the services so it was kind of a great motivation behind it but the, the business model didn't really make sense it was also non-profit and basically donors didn't really want to give money for it so it was i don't know in, in a spot where this just couldn't be successful at least back then um and that kind of we tried for a while but it didn't get traction while ecosia really got traction um i also kind of the more time i spend working on it, the more excited I got about it. The other projects, the more time I spend on it, the less excited I got about it. So I think that was also uh, an indicator. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, So what what did you do differently with Ecosia though? Was it just the aspect of planting trees or were there some some key mistakes that you made that you said, okay, I mean, obviously you weren't aiming at the Nepal market. yeah, I think that kind of focusing on the right audience, mm-hmm. um, having a, a message that is compelling to everybody. Um, so, yeah, helping projects in Nepal is maybe interesting to a few people, but solving climate change is interesting to, should be interesting to everyone. everyone so yeah. um, I think that 
uh, basically tweaking the idea until it really until it really works mm. and also just if you try something for the third time you just gain experience and you don't make the same mistakes again so i think that that was also just helpful so mm. i yeah at some point then with ecosia also when it when it kind of reached enough revenue so that i could actually kind of employ other people um, that was also the point where then I was also able to get in external knowledge, uh, had great people who supported um, building up the company so that, that it wasn't so dependent on myself. Uh, I think that was then where the point where Ecosia really turned from a hobby project or mm -hmm. something that just Christian would like to try into, yeah. into, some, into a real company. And all the other projects didn't really achieve this, this, this kind of level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, did you, uh, on the way, in those in those first couple of years when you were trying different things and they failed, did you ever have a moment where you thought, I'm just going to do something else, I'm just going to go get a job? Or, or, you know, were you sank into depression and you felt like, I, I can't believe I've been wasting time on these things? Uh, well, yeah, there was some skepticism. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, of course, realized that I'm um, not making money but burning money. Um, and you can only do that for for some time. I also, I mean, looked at the opportunity cost because I finished university with uh, very good grades, uh, faster than I needed to, and there were like companies interested in hiring hiring me, I assume, um, and I could have made a decent salary probably. So that's that's also um, something I had to keep in mind. But as I said, it wasn't so making making money wasn't so important, uh, and I just want to give this a try. I, I believed in it, and then I and I just uh, yeah wanted to keep going. Um, at some point, my mom said, uh, "You know, you're doing this for one and a half years now. <laughs> it's maybe also time that it uh, that something actually works out." But she, like, <laughs> without <laughs> without pressure, of course. So it was just um, helping me to reflect on the situation, <laughs> and um, yeah. So I, I got a lot of freedom, but of course I realized that I can't do this for 10 years. Like at some point something has to work. Um, yeah. And luckily it did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, which growth strategies would you attribute Ecosia's success to? Um, I think ultimately we built a product that really uh, meets a user need. So there are a lot of people now who care about solving climate change and Ecosia is one of the easiest things that you can do. We calculate that each search actually absorbs one kilogram of CO2. I do thousands of searches per year, which means that's tons of CO2 wow. being removed. So that's mm -hmm. a significant part of your footprint. And that with just basically just one or two clicks of changing your search engine. So it's really, it's really easy to do. Um, and um, yeah, I think people understand that. And once they understand it, they also kind of recommend it to their friends. So I think this is our most powerful growth channel that uh, people like what we what we offer and uh, then also tell others about it. Um, but we are also using traditional marketing. Um, so we're putting advertisements on Facebook, YouTube. Uh, we even, even had um, a few posters. Uh, we tried posters as well or out-of-home advertisement. Mm -hmm. And um, as long as we, by spending one euro on marketing, can then put two or three euros into tree planting, we'll keep doing that. So we're also using all of those marketing channels. Mm -hmm. What was also kind of, not really marketing, but we are also, as Ecosia, we want to kind of change the world for better outside of just 
planting trees and uh, we did a few campaigns that were very successful. We wanted, for example, wanted to buy uh, an ancient forest away from a coal company in mm -hmm. Germany mm -hmm. and that got a lot of uh, press attention and of course our user numbers went up um, and yeah we did of course we, have, we were happy about user numbers going up but it was really just because we wanted to help protect this, this forest and yeah. uh, also wanted to send a message that coal shouldn't be burned but should stay in the ground so um, and those kind of things also help us so this is something that um, that we can do mm -hmm. um, as a not-for-profit company basically we can also um, yeah, be loud about things that uh, should be different, and um, those I think those combined kind of this this really helps to build trust, build a great brand, and then hopefully people come to you <laughs> yeah. and, and start using your service. And yeah, we're now I think we have 15 million monthly active users. Uh, we're the biggest European search engine, even though uh, we only have one percent market share in Europe, but. Uh, uh, all the other players are basically out from outside of Europe. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're doing this quite successfully, especially if you, um, because we were not kind of burning just uh, venture capital money. We basically had to finance all of that with our own cash flow. Mm -hmm. And that is very different from, if you look at other companies, they just burn money and, and put hundreds of millions into, into marketing. Yeah. And then at some point they reach the level where they're actually financially um, stable. Mm -hmm. But we, from day one, basically were um, had to make it work. Cash flow positive. Yeah. yeah. And and that's a very important restriction for me. I think um, it's it also granted us the free freedom that we now don't have to kind of pay any investors back their investment or have to look at how can we do a big exit or um, mm. I don't know. Uh, so we don't yeah we don't have shareholders in the classical sense. Mm -hmm. um, and that gives us a lot of freedom to do the right thing, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, if you could go back and build Ecosia again from scratch, is there one key thing that you would do differently? Um, I think I would uh, call my friend Tim. Tim was, <laughs> Tim is, uh, <laughs> uh, he joined Ecosia in 2013, mm -hmm. so four years after, after I started the company. And um, he is an experienced business angel who has already built various uh, successful companies. And he basically, yeah, um, joined as a as a first also quite involved in, on an operational level and is now more has more of an advisor role. But during the first years after he joined, he really helped to build kind of a real company uh. instead of just a hobby project. And um, I wished I had done this earlier. <laughs> I wish I had. Uh, this kind of experience uh, on board earlier because in the early years we were doing quite a lot of circles instead of kind of going in, this, in, a, in, a, mm -hmm. in one direction. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it's just if you bring somebody on board as a mentor who really has done what you want to do, this really saves a lot of, a lot of time, a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. And it's also, I think, intellectually it's just great to have somebody you can learn from. Yeah. And that was that was great. I should have done that in the beginning. Yeah. So, what would your advice be? Obviously, that's that's one key bit of advice to other to other climate tech entrepreneurs. Do you have any other, you know, bits of advice that you would give? Yeah. So, yeah, find a mentor. Then mm -hmm. I think build something that you want, or at least a significant of 
amount of people really want so that you get kind of this traction behind your product because I see a lot of product with good ideas but then people don't really use it and I think really validating that so I tried many many different things until I found uh, Ecosia which basically was able to do what I wanted but also was able to do what the users wanted and only if you have this match then mm. you can build a successful, okay. successful organization um, and one thing that I would also give as an advice personally because for me this has worked out really well is um, if you take investors on board uh, yeah, maybe think twice because we fortunately didn't really take investors on board we are a steward owned company now where it's impossible to take any profits out of the company or sell the company so it's basically because it belongs to itself mm -hmm. and that for me is very important but uh, we could not have done this if we had taken venture capital in the early days mm. um, and, so and I think people underestimate what kind of how much they're giving up freedom interesting by yeah. doing that. Mm. and sometimes that trade-off is needed but not always, not always um, yeah. and um, it makes maybe makes things more difficult if you want to start out and don't have uh, I don't know five million to spend on just building a company from mm -hmm. venture capitalists but um, I would yeah I would be at least think about it twice or mm. think about the restrictions uh, that you will have afterwards um, yeah. And, yeah I see a lot of companies that at some point fall apart or founders are leaving because they lose basically ownership or control over the company or feel like it's not really going in the right direction anymore mm. and that uh, I hope will not happen with Ecosia. Yeah, so is that why you put the restriction on that it, for, for people to share, uh, sell shares? Yes, so that's for me from the very beginning it was clear that I didn't want to um, Yes, start this company because I wanted to get rich, but I wanted to launch it because I really wanted to plant millions and billions of trees potentially. Mm. So we basically, so from the very early days, was clear that we didn't want to uh, plant trees to make money, but we wanted to make money to plant trees so the other way around. Yeah. And I think that so I gave that promise to employees, to mm -hmm. users, mm -hmm. but um, it was not. If you looked at it, it was not really legally binding. So um, after Ecosia was kind of growing for a few years, um, then some of our employees and also journalists started asking, like, it's nice that you promised that, but if you look at, if you really look at it, what you could do is just sell Ecosia to, who, to the highest bidder and just uh, leave and buy a fancy house or a fancy sports car or something like that, and. That kind of bothered me because I felt like, no, this is really not what I want to do. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I also observed that there were a lot of companies who were doing exactly that. So mm -hmm. a lot of companies that I personally liked, especially if you look at the organic food sector, there were a lot of brands that I supported uh, in the early days, and now they are all sold to Nestle and Unilever, and, uh, mm -hmm. uh, companies that I don't necessarily want to support. So um, it's actually happening quite a lot and I so we started basically investigating how can we make sure that this won't happen to Ecosia how can we protect Ecosia mm -hmm. and um, we then found this model of a what we call a purpose company so basically a company that is still a business but um, the shares only can belong to employees and they can never be sold so um, even if I want to kind of hand over Ecosia to somebody else then I can't 
kind of give away or sell their shares, but basically just give them away for free. Mm-hmm. I think my, my shares have a nominal value of 50 euros, so I would have to sell, I would still sell the company, but for a very, very low price, so that basically everybody could take it. And I would only then give it to the person who is working at the company who is most able to kind of lead our mission forward, the best steward in a way, to, mm-hmm. who can take over the mission. Um, but it would be impossible to sell it to somebody outside of the company. So yeah. even if Microsoft or Google put a billion uh, euros on the table, we would not even be able to say yes. <laughs> and that's not that's not an empty promise. It's it's now a legal legally binding uh, um, thing that that can never be uh, changed again. So um, so this part that, that we're basically protecting it was there and, yeah. and its mission was very important to me. And then also it's impossible to take any profits out of the company. And that mm-hmm. for me was also important because I'm, I'm earning a normal salary, that's enough for me. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody at Ecosia is also earning a fair salary, so um, this is basically the principle that we operate under, but there's no there's no dividends or no nothing beyond that. Yeah. And I really like that model. Maybe it's not it doesn't apply for everyone, um, uh, but I think it's a good kind of counterweight mm-hmm. to what we have, because we have a lot of companies that are purely focused on shareholder value maximization. Yes. Um, I study business, so I understand that this has some advantages, but it also creates a lot of problems. Mm. And I think climate change or environmental destruction, social injustice, uh, a lot of those things are to some extent caused by shareholder value maximization. Mm. And I, yeah, I personally don't think that this will lead us to, into a good future. So I'm basically, what we create is the, the, the counter model to that. Yeah. And maybe society needs to be somewhere in the middle. Um, so maybe not all companies can be like us, mm-hmm. but maybe more can be kind of at least head in this direction. Yeah. And yeah, I also, I just realized I never wanted to be a billionaire. So even mm-hmm. if, if uh, somebody gave me a billion, a billion euros tomorrow, I would just put it into tree planting. So why should <laughs> I sell my company? Um, you're a, you're, you're a very that... unusual entrepreneur <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I even think that um, maybe maybe that's not true, but I personally feel that this focus on money and being rich is something that is more, I don't know, I don't see that with especially young entrepreneurs, I don't see that so much anymore. I see a lot of young people who really want to have a positive impact on the climate and society. I think we're, we've reached a level where everybody, we can provide for everyone. We basically, everybody can be happy. Um, there is no, you don't need to have a big house and a fancy sports car to be happy. Like that's, that's at least a realization that I had. And if I had a billion, a billion euros, I would rather try to solve climate change with it instead of buying fancy things. And um, yeah, I even think that hopefully because uh, on Forbes, there's the list of the richest people or the, the billionaires yeah. list. Mm-hmm. I hope that society can change in a way that this is actually turning more into the positive contributions that you could do with that money. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think somebody should only be called a billionaire if they actually t- took a billion tons of uh, CO2 out of the atmosphere. That I, I love that. <laughs> yeah. All the other billionaires, for me, that's kind of, I, I find this very lame. Yeah. I mean, yes, money gives you power to do things, Mm -hmm. but then if you use that power, and power comes with responsibility. Absolutely. Yeah. To uh, I don't know, just buy things for your own pleasure. That's Mm -hmm. for me. That's right. So, what is being rich to you? 
because uh, I, I know that, you know, like you said, being rich is not necessarily being a billionaire or a millionaire in the traditional form. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm very much aware that I'm... But what are the, the things that you, you, you strive for, let's just say, yeah. the most that yeah. you strive to achieve? Because personally, I feel I'm already, I mean, you're rich when you have enough. <laughs> and mm. uh, there are two ways how you can achieve that. You yeah. either try to aim higher and higher and higher, or you just at some point say, okay, this is enough. Yes. And um, if you look at uh, how many people in this world are suffering from hunger or mm-hmm. all kind of other problems, then for me it just seems morally irresponsible to aim for millions, hundreds of millions or billions and say that this is the money that you need for your own, for your own pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> that, that to me is, is uh, irresponsible. Mm-hmm. So for me at some point I realized I'm, I have enough when I get a decent salary that already is, I'm already in the top five or top five, 10% globally if you look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, with a decent salary in a Berlin startup, that's uh, I'm already one of the richest people in the world, mm. and there's no need to go beyond that. I think everything beyond that for me is, um, yeah, indecent to some extent. Mm-hmm. Considering that there are 95% of people who are earning less, and 50% of people who are basically really, really struggling to make a living. So mm-hmm. that, yeah, I would say rich starts as an, at a normal at a normal Berlin salary or Berlin startup salary, yeah. um, and. Uh, that's already two or three times higher than the average salary in Berlin, so mm-hmm. that's uh, that's really, really good. Yeah. And what I still want to achieve though with my business is that we make a lot of money because I want to do a lot of good with that money. But mm-hmm. I'm yeah, that, that is only for Ecosia. So for Ecosia, I want to earn as much money as possible because I know that we can use that money in a good way. Mm-hmm. But personally, I'm I'm already I'm fine. Yeah. Um. Could you describe your your journey of building Ecosia in three words? Three words is really difficult. Three words, three adjectives uh, <laughs> that yeah. could capture with the experience. Yeah, I would say persistence, um, purpose, and people. Ah, three P's. Excellent. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> So bringing on the right people then. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, can you share your your plans for scaling up? Yeah. So we we are as I said we are not even one percent market share. There is still ninety nine percent missing. <laughs> so um, in theory, I mean there there are a lot of people who would love to use Ecosia as their default search engine, but don't know about us yet, or uh, I don't know, just forgot to kind of set it up. Um, and those people we want to reach, I think that can easily be 20% of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, so reaching more people, but then we also want to um, build our further build our product. Um, so at the moment, Ecosia is basically only a search engine that's using its profits for tree planting, and that's great. Mm-hmm. But uh, we also want to use this search engine to help people to make greener choices. So let's say you're typing in that you want to go from Berlin to Munich by plane, um, and then Ecosia could tell you, hey, this is not such a good idea. Why don't you take the train instead and save a few hundred kilograms of CO2? Mm-hmm. So this kind of nudging or at least providing transparency, we could do that. Um, and in addition to that, I think we can also branch out a little bit more and not only look at, at web search, but there are also other things like, like shopping or travel 
where uh, I think Ecosia's value proposition could make a lot of sense. And where we could also, if we get people to buy different kind of products or even buy less products or use products, um, then we could have a big impact on on our users' CO2 footprint. Mm -hmm. um, and that again, is, it's helpful that we're not a profit maximizing company because we can even tell people don't buy this. Yes, we would earn money if you buy it, but please don't do it anymore. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity just if you look at the, how much money Google is making uh, and how many trees we still need on this planet, then uh, the, the sky is the limit, basically. Yeah, yeah. So so your plans for scaling up are not just to continue, you know, advertising and gaining market share with the search engine, but to add some more features and some more options to help people understand their environmental impact better yeah. and the impact of I their choices. Because there are a lot of things in search that we don't have to do, um, because there are other people who are already doing it, where we can just have partnerships, um, uh, and we're anyhow more a partnership-focused company. So Google wants to buy everything that that, that it wants to use, but we we're happy to let others uh, do the job. Or if it's already done, we don't have to reinvent the wheel, basically. Mm -hmm. So um, that. Um, but one element that isn't done well at the moment is the, the kind of green or sustainability aspect. Mm -hmm. So if people are looking for information, there is no real information on what this means for the climate or how green a certain action is. Or um, let's say somebody's thinking about building a house. That is a very big decision. How can we influence those kind of decisions so that this, uh, the user is building a good house and mm -hmm. not, uh, I don't know, um, because it can't really be undone if <laughs> once you build a house that That's has a very true. high energy footprint, yeah. then that house is going to be there for a very long time. So mm -hmm. how can we affect those kind of decisions as well? Um, now, do you have a favorite uh, quote or a, a, a mantra for life? Mm, there are a lot of things. Um, yeah, I think if you look at what I'm what I'm doing, so I want to solve climate change. So that's that's really a difficult nut to crack. And I know that there are a lot of people working on it who are really, I mean, it's depressing, especially in the last years, if you've seen that um, I'm working on this for what, 12 years now, and especially in the first 10 years, I just didn't understand why people don't wake up to this kind of, this is the mm. biggest ex or existential threat that humanity has ever faced. And we're- I think ma many of us have felt that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, this can get really depressing, but at some point I decide, okay, I'm just gonna give it my best, and then, uh, but still have have fun or enjoy my life doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's also because it, ultimately this is a marathon, and you can't, yeah, you have to recharge your battery basically if you want to if you want to solve climate change. You can't do that in just uh, I don't know one or two years. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you've had a. a tremendous impact um, through building Ecosia um, and how many trees is it that you've planted a hundred and twenty million or something like that or I think we're 127 128 wow. yeah. getting one tree every second so that's uh, wow <laughs> so um, you know what kind of how do you expect your your impact to continue to expand and grow yeah, so I think where we can have a very big impact as well is just to, if we if we look at the tree planting industry mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the sector basically, yeah. 
I think this sector isn't really well developed at the moment. Um, so we know that tree planting, so of course we have to protect forests, but our tree planting products are doing that as well. We often kind of design them in a way that they also protect forests. But just in general, if you look at tree planting, it has, it's one of the biggest things that we can do to solve climate change um, and much bigger than electric cars or anything like that. Um, so forests are super, super important. Uh, and if you look at forests and agriculture, which we're to some extent combining, that is already more than 50% of the answer to solving climate change. And people, I think, vastly underestimate the importance of, of those two factors. Mm -hmm of those two um, industries and the problem is why there isn't I think going more money into um, into forests is that the this the sector is not very transparent like often when you're buying a tree online somebody tells you yes this, you've we've planted a tree for you in Ethiopia and then you ask okay where exactly <laughs> how can I be sure that this tree is surviving and is it a good tree or a bad tree so they, there's still yeah People wouldn't accept that as an answer in, in, let's say, if you want to buy a bike and somebody told you, yes, we put your bike uh, somewhere in Ethiopia. Um, you would not yeah, you would not accept that. You would want to know where exactly in Ethiopia is the bike and how can I get it and is it a good bike or not? So for trees, this, this kind of transparency or this, um, this quality isn't really there yet. Often, yeah, say they, people often say they're, they're planting trees, um, which in some cases isn't even true, then people mistake planted trees as surviving trees. That's also something different. And then also you need to plant good trees that actually survive for a very long time so that they can really have an impact on the communities, on the ecosystem, and also on the climate. And this is what we're aiming to do. Um, we really want to raise the bar in the tree planting sector and um, yeah, also give especially big donors um, some certainty that if they if they put money into tree planting it will really have an impact mm -hmm. and we recently even made our own tree planting portfolio we have I think um, 60 different tree planting projects and more than 15,000 locations where we're planting trees mm -hmm. and we're monitoring that with satellites mobile apps machine learning and we're doing all that to make sure that we really have high tree planting quality mm -hmm. and we made this portfolio basically available to external companies as well. So if somebody wants to do good tree planting, they can now do that through us. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, we don't accept everyone, but companies who are really serious about having a positive impact on the planet uh, can now do that and basically um, yeah, be sure that, we're, that good trees are being planted. Um, mm -hmm. And I think this is super important because we ultimately in the next two decades, we need one trillion uh, trees, new trees, yeah. and currently we're still losing billions of trees every year, so we're very, very far away from achieving that. So there needs to be a big turnaround and a big scaling up, and we mm -hmm. want to play a role in that. Um, we can't finance all of it ourselves. I mean, yeah. if we were as good, as big as, as Google, mm -hmm. then uh, we could finance a significant share of that, mm -hmm. but we can't finance it all. But I think we can really do our share to yeah, establish the tree planting sector as something that, that really um, um, that people understand that this is one of the best solutions to, to climate change. Mm. No, it is interesting, actually, because I, you know, I, I know that there are lots of different solutions, renewable energy, but I didn't know that tree planting is actually one of the best solutions. So 
Yeah, that, that's for me. So I uh, I really like Project Drawdown. I don't know if you heard about that, but no, that is they're looking at the top 100 solutions that we can that that, that exist to solve climate change. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the just the top 20, uh, out of the top 20, you have 12 solutions that are either agriculture or or forests mm -hmm. in some way. Wow. So that is more than half of the, of the biggest impact solution, and then. I think there are seven other solutions that are focused on on energy so mm -hmm. renewable energy um how how do we especially wind and solar so how do we do this mm -hmm. um if we do agriculture forests and renewable energy well then we've basically solved the problem and um that also of course ties to the question of food waste and mm -hmm. what kind of food we eat yeah. so veg mostly vegetarian food and so on but if we do just the transformation in those three important areas mm -hmm then the problem is actually almost solved. Um, and it's that, I mean, that's kind of nice to put it that way because it feels less daunting, right? When it's very yeah. concrete, <laughs> yeah. these three but areas, here, not like here in Germany, people think like we just need to produce a lot of electric cars. And that is not true. I, ideally, we should not produce any cars. Yeah. The best, best vehicle is a bike, in my opinion, not an electric car. Yeah, I agree. But, uh, <laughs> electric bike. <laughs> Yeah, not even that. I think just a bike, uh, bike, public transport. Um, that that is, uh, I think, all we need. But um, I think, especially in Germany, politicians wouldn't want to hear that because they're very attached to their cars. That's true. Yeah. Um. So if you could teleport yourself into your future in ten years' time or fifteen years' time down the road, and you could be anywhere doing anything, can you describe what that would what that would be for you? Um, yeah, so I hope that with Ecosia we can, we would really plant billions and billions of trees and mm. manage this scaling up. Um, we want to have a significant share of the market, not only a little less than 1%, but maybe 10 or 20% of the market and really help our users to make greener choices. Uh, I think by that we can really have a, a, an impact, positive impact on overall footprint of, of society mm -hmm. and then another aspect that is personally very important to me and that's actually also part of our vision statement at Ecosia is that we want to lead the way to a regenerative future so kind of moving away from this society that is basically based on destruction and mm -hmm. exploitation of our resources and people um, and yeah, moving towards a society that actually repairs the damage that has been done in the past, that is not only carbon neutral, but actually climate positive, that really removes as much CO2 as possible, that a society that stops destroying ecosystems and actually starts building up ecosystems. And um, yeah, I think if we could play a role in that and be a role model, that would be awesome. So I think Ecosia is one of the few really regenerative companies mm -hmm. because our, our footprint is just not only not negative or neutral, but we're just vastly positive. Yeah. So we're really having a very, very good impact on the planet. And there's no reason why not all companies should copy that. I mean, Google yeah. has, I think, over $180 billion lying around on their bank accounts. They could plant a lot of trees with that. Or, <laughs> <laughs> invested into into a renewable energy or something like that but mm. instead they're uh, yeah they're wasting this opportunity and i think in times of climate change that can't really be justified so no. yeah individuals and companies who have big opportunities i think have the, uh, the responsibility to really um 
use those opportunities. And mm -hmm. as I said, uh, nobody should be called a billionaire unless they've taken a billion tons of CO2 out of the atmosphere. I love that. <laughs> um, now, do you have any daily rituals, morning routines, or things you do that keep you in your in your top form and ready to keep going and taking Ecosia forward? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things. So I sometimes meditate, um, not regularly. It depends. I have phases where I do it more regularly. Um, but um, that, that really helps to kind of stay grounded. Mm -hmm. I really like to cycle to work so that it's not only giving me exercise, but it's also a nice way of, kind of getting started into the day and then uh, ending the, the work day. Mm -hmm. so I do that basically every day um, and then yeah as I said I think it's it's not a marathon so taking time uh, to also yeah, have fun enjoy life um, that is that is important especially if you're a founder of a startup that's mm -hmm. usually stressful so you need to find ways to uh, to deal with that uh, otherwise um, it won't last for very long uh, mm -hmm. and I think I, I mean experienced kind of more difficult phases in the past and I realized that um, yeah, it's uh, you can't go at 150% all the time. At some point, you also need to recharge your battery. Yeah. Um, now, this is a bit of an unusual question, but that's exactly why I like to ask it, because I, I think I know that nobody else will have asked this before. <laughs> what would your dream house look like? I'm actually thinking about this quite a lot, um, because uh, housing is one of the biggest uh, kind of currently negative impacts on our climate, mm -hmm. and, but it could actually be positive. Um, mm -hmm. And they are very, very good uh, ecological building um, models, either with yeah, most, most like, even straw or um, wood houses um, or even clay houses, adobe houses. So they're very, very good models that actually create better living comfort, uh, but at the same time, cost less and uh, have a super great uh, impact on positive impact on our climate. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, I think also we need to move away from this idea that we can kind of, so I would invite nature a bit more into the house. Yeah. So at the moment we're kind of, a lot of buildings are very sterile where, uh, I don't know, a lot of concrete mm. and, and steel and, mm -hmm. and uh, um, yeah, that, that for me, doesn't feel natural, so mm -hmm. I would rather have a lot of wood plants uh, and uh, yeah, maybe even some vegetables growing inside the house. So there are a lot of good concepts there. And uh, yeah. if I would build a house, then um, I would probably build it in that way. Uh, at the moment, I don't need a house, so mm -hmm. I'm fine with my impression. Okay. So did you say like a did you say clay? That you would use clay? Yeah, so Adobe, so they're, they're great ways of building houses with, uh, and, and this is actually, if you look at, especially in the, in the drier areas of our planet, how mm -hmm. most of the houses used to be built, now they're also building it with yeah. concrete, and that has a massive CO2 footprint. I mm -hmm. think concrete alone is uh, responsible for 15% of the CO2 emissions or something like wow. that, so really, or cement, so yeah. we just can't keep doing that, um, and the advantage Adobe is that it doesn't need um, uh, cement. Uh, the advantage of wood is actually that you, if you grow the wood kind of in a good way, then you can actually store CO2 in your building mm -hmm. and your house even has a negative uh, CO2 footprint. Mm -hmm. uh, so a climate positive CO2 footprint uh, instead of having yeah, 
very, very bad impact on the climate. Yeah. Um, all right. Is there anything else that you want to add before you wrap up? Any other uh, point that you want to make? or? Oh, yeah, okay, I'll ask you actually one final thing. You've probably said this in several different ways, but sometimes it's nice to have it in a nutshell. What would your message be to the world if, you know, you could sum it up in, like, a, a sentence or two? Um, yeah, I think people should stop thinking about being carbon neutral and really think about how can I be a climate positive, mm -hmm. because this carbon neutral is just to limit, I mean, it's, mm. it's point, like we can't afford to be uh, sustainable or carbon neutral anymore. We could have done that in the 80s, but now it's too late. And we all need to shift our mindset and, and start becoming regenerative, climate positive. I think even chief sustainability officers should all change their title and turn it into chief regeneration officers because mm. that's, that's what we really need. That's nice. Um, yeah. And I think the first easy step in that direction is use eco regeneration. Because, um, yeah. it has a massive positive impact. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, all right, a anything else at all? No? no. Okay, I, great. I think I, I managed to um, ramble on for a very long time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, really uh, admire. Sorry, um, if you should need any images uh, or anything uh, like that, we can uh, 